There are some moments in life, events and situations that we're a part of that become once-in-a-lifetime situations. Maybe even once-in-all-of-human-history type events. Moments that if you had the opportunity to be in on them, to be there, to, to have heard what happened, to have seen what went on, you'd want to be there. You'd love to experience those moments, those things, to have been there that moment that Neil Armstrong took one small step for man, but one giant leap for mankind. Imagine being there. Imagine being part of that historic moment. Or to have heard with your own ears and seen with your own eyes Martin Luther King's, I have a dream. To have seen what went on, to have, to have been part of it and understand what has happened in these moments in history well, it'd just be wonderful, wouldn't it? I want to say that tonight, what we have in front of us in this part of God's Word is one of those great moments of history. I want to say it's an even greater moment than the two I just described. We have here in front of us in this part of history recorded for us what secular researchers claim to be the most influential man in the history of humanity, Jesus of Nazareth. He's had the most influence on society and who we are and what has gone on. The one who has amazing connections. He calls God his father. He's the one who, through whom and for whom and by whom, all things were created that exist. He's the one who sustains the universe by his powerful word. This is the one who claims to be speaking to us here tonight. And we get a moment, a question, an inside view that I take it we'd love to know the answer to. We get a time where we get to see his friends ask him a question. A question to which the answer gives us the blueprint to the future of humanity. It shows us the purpose of God to have been there to hear the answer to this question. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. Now, if you think about it, here is the one who has come from God, who claims to be God. And he's answering the question, how do we pray? What are we to ask God for? What are we to come to the one who is in control of all things and say to him? For Jesus, this is an amazing teaching moment. It's a moment where as he gathers his thoughts in one or two sentences, he gets to explain the heart of what God is on about the heart of the universe and what we should be asking the God who has made all things and created all things. Wouldn't you love to know the answer? What what should we ask God? What should we pray, Jesus? Well, the great thing is we don't have to wonder. We have recorded for us here what Jesus said. Verse 2 of Luke chapter 11. He said to them, Whenever you pray, say, Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. Now, for many of us here who have been part of a church for a while, even a short while, those words... They're not kind of anything new to us. We kind of hear them 
you might even not be part of a church, but you've heard them. Uh, the Lord's Prayer. It's such, a, such an obvious prayer. And, and sometimes we're, we're tempted to think that some magic word, some magic spell, something if we just say it makes God happy. But what I want to do with us tonight is show you that really this whole prayer has at its core one idea. And if you understand that idea, if, if you pick it out and, and see it for its detail, you see that the rest of the prayer hangs off that one prayer. And I want to put it to you tonight that the rest of the Bible hangs off this one point. Jesus, in this moment of clarity, of focus, tells his closest followers what to pray for, what life is about. And he hangs it right there of something in this prayer. Has anyone ever prayed? Uh, prayed? Huh? Has anyone ever played that game called Barrel of Monkeys? You know, you know what I mean? Like that little barrel and you get monkeys inside. Hey, hand up if you know how to play the game. Yes, in not oh, is it? Come on. Let's put your hand up if you're like, I right now know how to play the game. Be aware, I might ask you down the front to give us a demonstration. Oh, hands go back down again. <laughs> All right, I thought so. Like, I've seen that game around for ages. I've got no idea. Like, what do you do with them? Um, uh, and then I kind of... Um, Heard someone talk about it recently and was like, oh, that's what it's about. So I looked it up on YouTube, like all good things that you do. And, and what you do in Barrel of Monkeys is, the idea is you, you shake the Barrel of Monkeys and then you open it up, you pour it out on the table and they all fall out in a pile. And then you pick one monkey. Hopefully you try and pick the monkey that's connected to as many others. And, and you lift up that monkey carefully and try and get it to lift up the ones underneath it. And if you pick the right monkey, you can get a whole number in the first go. And then you've got to try and click them together to see how many you can get on a chain. What I want to put to you tonight is that there is one thing in this prayer that Jesus has that is the center of the prayer, the thread that all the rest of the prayer hangs off, and in fact, the rest of the Bible, like a chain of monkeys. (laughs) And I think that thread is the end of verse 2, and it's only three words. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. It's my hope that those three words by the end of the tonight will change the way you think about life, about the future, about why you exist and what matters. Your kingdom come. In a way, it's a little bit odd that this idea comes up here. Uh, It doesn't seem to make lots of sense. See, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, to pray that your kingdom come. It's it's future tense, looking forward to the day that that kingdom would would come in. But all through the Old Testament, we kind of read that God's kingdom is here. God is the king over his universe. He's the one who's in control. He made all things. Why are we praying God's kingdom come? Look with me. Um, Daniel chapter 4, verse 34. It's on the screen. Um, For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Right? His kingdom is... Is, is here, or, or Psalm 145, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. Is his kingdom here or not? Do, do you see the tension? Why is Jesus praying your kingdom come? Psalm 103, verse 19, just to hit it home. The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. The reoccurring theme is that God is the king of the universe and that his kingdom rules over all. So in what sense does Jesus pray your kingdom come? It's it's the problem of this prayer. What is it about the kingdom that he can say that there's still something more coming, something to wait for? Well, let me show you. 
Because as we understand this, I think the whole lot of this prayer in the Bible unravels before us. So I want to put it to you tonight. The story of the Bible is the story of God's contested rule through to his uncontested rule forever. That, that the Bible is really saying uh, from the very beginning that, that God, as he created the world and as he made humanity, we begin with Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve were sitting under God. Uh, they, they were having him as their king, as their ruler. They were ruling over creation with him as their king. But from day one, that rule was contested. A serpent came up and said, what did God say? Do not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the tree. He said, you will not surely die. God, God just doesn't want you to become like him. See that? God's rule over mankind being contested by this serpent, by Satan. And so the woman, seeing the fruit, seeing it was good and pleasing for food and pleasing to the eye, she took it and ate some and gave it to her husband who was with her the whole time saying nothing. And at that point, they contest God's rule. The one who made them, they go, we think we know better than you. The Bible calls that sin. Rebellion against God's good plan for us. From, from day one, from that time that we see in Genesis you know, 1 and 2, from Genesis 3 onwards, we see this contested rule that has been there from the beginning. And from that moment on, what we see throughout the Bible is, is a journey from God's contested rule to his uncontested rule, where he is seen and treated as he is for all eternity. We see in Romans 4, the end trajectory of that. Paul tells us um, in Romans 14, actually, it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me and every tongue will give praise to God. Friends, if you're here checking out Jesus tonight, if you're thinking through, who is this guy? What, what is he about? What is this, this Jesus thing? The claim of the Bible is that this is the future. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, will give praise to God. Not everyone willingly. This is the claim of the Bible that that this is the God of the universe. He is the one who is in control. And that is the journey the whole world is on. That is the future, God's uncontested rule. And so the Bible talks about a day when, when that rule will never be contested again. And when we reach that day, we've reached the universe's destination. We've reached the destination station. There you go. Sounds great. Called eternity. And that is how it will continue from that moment on forever. And that is the great trajectory that the Bible pushes us towards. This is the thing that drives throughout the whole lot of Scripture. Problem is, we are so focused on this world, aren't we? Uh, even if you're here and you've been a Christian for a long time and you think through what the Lord's Prayer is about, you think it's about, oh, help me in my daily bread, help, help me um, to be, to be uh, forgiven, lead me not into temptation. We, we fall into the trap of, of being so me-centered. We pray. What do you pray about? The things that are in front of you, the things about exams. Help me get this assignment done all night tonight. Right? We... we, we the, um, Please provide that someone for me. Help me work out who they are. What do I do in this situation? But the Bible has for us a far greater horizon, a far greater picture to see the future of the universe. God's uncontested rule. That's where everything is going. And that needs to drive our concerns. 
So Jesus says, your kingdom come. When you see the significance of that thread, then the whole Bible starts to hang together like a barrel of monkeys. And you see that the central theme is God's kingdom and what he is doing, bringing people back to himself. Your kingdom come, says Jesus. Don't you long for that day? Don't you long for a day when pain is done away with? When sickness is finally kicked out, when death no longer has any effect on us, when there's no more mourning or crying or pain. Wouldn't that be great? You might think that that day won't happen. But the claim of the Bible is that that is the future. And that future is for those who trust in the King. And the one who has come and died in your place, in, in, in Jesus. Your kingdom come. But there's another problem with the kingdom. Another issue that we have with this idea in this passage. You see, the day the kingdom was expected to come was the day that God sent his king to rule. Uh, Throughout the the Old Testament, there is an expectation that a day would come when God's king would come. They they called God's king the Messiah, the the promised king, the Christ. The claim of the New Testament is that that Christ is Jesus. Jesus Christ. It's not his surname. It's his title, promised king. But the problem is, if Jesus has come, why do we still suffer? Listen to this, uh, Zechariah 4 verse 1 and 9. You see, on that day, they expect all this stuff to stop. The day of the Lord is coming. And on that day, Yahweh will become king over all the earth. Yahweh alone and his name alone. Uncontested, right? On that day. That's what we'd be expecting. But as we look at the arrival of Jesus, we see that God has done something really astonishingly rich. He split the day of the Lord in two. See, all through the Gospels, Jesus keeps saying this phrase that the kingdom has come near. Look at me, Mark chapter 1, 15. Uh, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's come near. There's a closeness There's the, with the arrival of Jesus that the kingdom is near. And you, like, you, can, you can hear the expectation of things to be put right. At the end of, of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, Jesus says these words, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The king has come and his name is Jesus. Uncontested rule, surely. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. At the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we see that Jesus is that king. Death has been defeated. Life has been offered. In one sense, the battle between God and Satan and and sin has been finally finished. Death, the outworking of sin has been dealt with. Satan has lost the battle. What, What are Jesus' last words as he dies on the cross? They're not his last words. But as he's on the cross, it is finished. It's finished. The battle's been won. The king has come. He is here. Yet in in another sense, Satan hasn't quite finally been disposed of, has he? We experience sickness and pain and suffering. We're tempted. Uh, Paul says in Romans 16, 
the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There's a sense that we live in a tension now, but not yet. The king has come, but we don't yet experience the fullness of that kingdom coming in. Paul points back to a promise that's made in Genesis 3 that the child of the woman will crush the serpent's head and he will strike her heel. Here, 1620, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. It's not yet completely done, is it? Well, what's on view here is kind of an, an odd moment. It's kind of like, imagine a, a wedding celebration. You go to someone's wedding, uh, you come along and um, and they get up the front and they say their vows to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. This is my solemn vow and promise, right? They make these promises to one another, to give one another to each other, to be united for life. And the, kind of, the pastor walks up and says, what God has joined together, let no man separate. I declare them married, right? At that point, under God, they're married. They've made promises to one another. This is a real thing, but... They don't yet get to experience the fullness of those promises. Uh, Right there on the stage, they then go and sit down and they wait. They wait before they can go home and consummate the marriage and be together and be one flesh. There's this kind of tension. Like, we love having the after party. We love the reception. But we we want to get on with our marriage as well, right? this This is good. This is what we've kind of been waiting for. You know, I've been reading the Bible and God says, those that burn with passion, we should... We should get married, and I want to get married. <laughs> and we've been married, but we... It's this tension. Now, imagine you turn to the couple and you said, oh, by the way, just got to stay like that for 40 years. What? <laughs> that wasn't what I was expecting. I was expecting the whole thing. The one day would come and it would all be sorted. And I mean, I knew the reception might be long, but 40 years? Like, I, I want to wait for that consummation. Well, that's what it's kind of like for us living in this age, this tension we experience where the king has come, Satan has been put away, but oh, we don't yet experience the fullness of that promise. It hasn't fully yet broken in. It begs the question, why would God do that? Why would he put us in the situation of having this King come and and having him die in our place and offer us forgiveness and declare us right with God and yet at the same time not bring in the fullness of what we're expecting. Why would he do that? Do you feel that tension? Are you like, yes, why? Well, he's done it because he's merciful. He's done it because he's merciful. You see, God has created right now a time of, of, of pardon. A time where more and more people can come and trust the King who's come without yet experiencing the consequences of, of rejecting Him. He's given time for people to come in. Look what Peter says, one of Jesus' closest followers in 2 Peter 3. He says this, The Lord does not delay His promises, as some understand delay, but He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God's provided an amnesty, a, a period where, um, a period where this this forgiveness is possible, where people can come to Him and, and find forgiveness in Jesus, because He doesn't want any to perish. He's full of mercy. This God who has come, He loves His creation. 
you know the difference between grace and mercy, right? I've said this a few times. Grace is, it just means gift, right? And so God's grace is an undeserved gift. No one ever deserves a gift. And when someone gives you your wages for working for a week of work, you don't go, oh, wow, thank you so much. I didn't deserve that. You're like, no, I, I deserve it. Thank you. <laughs> I worked it. You give it to me. That's, that's how it is. A gift is when you like, don't deserve it. You're like, thank you so much. And God's gift is his son dying in our place. A gift is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's recognizing that we should be punished for what we've done, and yet God doesn't punish us. I always think of that game Mercy. I've used this before, but I love it. Do you know the game Mercy? You, used to, you hold someone's hands, and you're like, here you go. And you like got to have this fight. This is me, and this is them. And, and it's like whoever gets to twist the other person's hands. And the one who wins is the one who twists the other person's hands until the other person cries out, Mercy! What they're saying is, I suck. I deserve to be smashed by my hands. Can you please stop and be nice to me? Begging for mercy. Grace is getting something we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Here, God has provided a time of mercy, of not giving us what we do deserve for turning our backs on God. At that moment, Eve ate the apple and gave it, or whatever it was, fruit, and then gave it to to Adam, and he ate it. God could have gone justice, dead. No more humanity, no more creation. At that time Jesus came on the cross, he could have dealt with sin there, and anyone who trusted him in that moment... 40 days later, he rises, he ascends. He could have gone, right, that's it. My judgment is coming. That's the end. You know what? You and I would never have a chance to be forgiven, to be alive. Why are we living in this awkward tension, this time right now? Because God is merciful. But not for long. Not for long. The very next verse, Peter speaks. Uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 10 says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And on that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. And the elements will burn and be dissolved. And the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. There is an end coming where God's mercy will not come anymore. Receiving pardon is not yet the kingdom coming in its fullness. We, we get to receive forgiveness, but we don't yet have its fullness yet. It's not like we've arrived in the kingdom. It's the kingdom breaking in, but the effects of that day and the king coming have, have not been fully brought in yet. Not completely, with finality. We live in this age where there's a pause. Have you ever seen a, a video or a picture of in the flesh of a high-rise building blow up. You know how they demolish high-rise buildings? Um, uh, They kind of, they put TNT around the bottom floor, they they, they layer them all in, uh, and they they stick it there, and and then they kind of, they get this long cord, they pull back, and they stand, I don't know if there's a long cord, but there's something like that, and they stand back, and all the cameras are out, and they've cleared the area, and and then there's this huge sky-rise building, and they press a button, and there's this explosion. You see this, at the bottom. But you ever noticed, when that happens, it's like the building just stands there for a second. You're like, why isn't it falling down? Like it's like, poof, it's like, and then it just slowly starts to crumble, right? There's this pause before the drop. It's kind of, here's a photo, that moment. It's kind of like what God has done with us. The king has come. There was an explosion that's been felt across the whole world. The most influential man on the planet, they call him, 
became God's king. He died in our place. He offered sacrifice for our sins. The king has come, but he's not yet brought the building down. Why, why is God kind of holding up the building like that pause before the drop? He's doing it so people can get out. He's doing it because though the king has come, there is still time. There is still mercy. It's like God is holding up the earth, not bringing its full destruction before he recreates it and makes a new heaven and new earth. He's giving the world time to get out, to get away, to trust the king and put your life in his hands. We live right now in that moment. The pause before the drop. The only thing that's holding up that building is God's mercy. If you're here tonight and you're checking out things about who Jesus is and what he's done, why, why, why are these Christians so excited about Jesus? Because we think he is the king. And we think now is the moment for you to come and recognize him for who he is. Check out the evidence that exists. Put your faith in this king for he is the only way you can get out of the building. You can't stand under however much that building costs and be like, I've got, I've got it. I can hold it up. <laughs> That's not going to work. How much more so under the great judgment of the true and living God, who knows everything you've ever said and thought and done. Now, God is being merciful. He's not giving you and me what we deserve. He's holding the building up, giving us time to come and put our faith, to trust, to accept what Jesus has done for us at the cross. Now, let me show you why this is so important. See, this thread of the kingdom that links everything together, the kind of monkey that everything else is hanging off. If, if you get the time that we live in, if you understand that we're living in this pause before the drop, if you're able to pray, your kingdom come. It's about your kingdom and your kingdom coming in its fullness. And you understand the importance it is for us to be... Huh, living in response to what Jesus has done for us, you understand the phenomenal mercy of God in pausing. And it dramatically changes your life, doesn't it? If you knew you were living in a building that the foundation had been exploded on and all that was holding it up was God's mercy, and the only reason he was holding that up was so that you could tell others about Jesus and so that you yourself could trust in Jesus, would that change the way you lived? Will that change what you live for and how it ordered your prayers and your life and your priorities and how you served and what excites you? You'd be like, man, I'm in a building that's going to fall in a heap. Yet there is a king who has paid the price for me, who's given me time to get out to trust in his son. Do you see how dramatically that will change the way that you live? Now look back at the Lord's Prayer. If you look in Matthew, there's six requests, uh, five in, in Luke. But all by one of them, and even that I want to contest, is about the kingdom. Look at this. Holy be your name. May your name be set apart like no other. Holy, that's what it means, set apart, uncontested in reign. Uh, your kingdom come. May that day finally arrive when things are put right. May, may, may those who come into the kingdom come in. What's his next word? Praying your kingdom come. Uh, forgive us our sins is after the, uh, the bit about bread. Uh, pardon us now in this time. Help us to come to the king and trust in him. 
as we forgive others, as we look at how we live in the kingdom, we're to act like Jesus has acted to us, forgive others, not in order to be saved, but because well, he's saved us, he's forgiven us. Don't bring us into temptation as we live in this age. Don't cause us to trust in ourselves or, or someone else or to doubt your rule, God. Help us to, to leave you as the king. Do you see? It's all about the kingdom, except maybe this give us today our daily bread. But even that, I think the implication is give us what I need today. Don't let me be so focused on the future. Look, I'd like a, a massive fridge and a kind of huge barn full of food. Give it, Lord, please give us you know, enough to live for the next eight years if there's a nuclear war with a bunker. and in, None of that. Give us today our daily. Give us what we need. Why? Because we're living for the, the kingdom. We're living for the day that Jesus comes back. We're living in this pause before the drop. And so I think even that is helping us to go... <laughs> It's not about here and now. It's about living for then and helping those here and now and myself be trusting in this king before the drop. And why, why do I say all this on this celebration night service? I say it to give us a moment of focus. A moment to stop and think about what we're living for and how we respond, to show us that at the very heart and core of our God and his plan for the universe is this idea of the growth of the kingdom. That should be what drives us, what we live for. It's what we're to pray for, Jesus says. What should we pray, Jesus? Key moment. The kingdom. The kingdom. So that's what we're doing. That's why I exist. That's why you exist is for the kingdom, for that day when everything is put right, recognizing now we live in that pause before the drop. That's what we as a church are about. That's what these interviews up the front are about, the things that we're celebrating. It's not about Auckland EV. Oh, Auckland EV is great, whatever. It's about Jesus, who is the king. It's about seeing more trust in him in this age that's the pause before the drop. Listen to the way Paul gets this concept. In Acts chapter 20, Paul says this, I count my life of no value to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. I count my life of no value to myself so I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's free gift. That's how Paul describes his life. Not me, but him. Live for the kingdom. How does he describe his ministry? Look at the next verse. (laughs) And now, verse 25, I know that none of you will ever see my face again, everyone I went about preaching the kingdom to. Sleight of hand. But what does he say? What was he he doing all his life? Preaching the what? The kingdom. Preaching the kingdom. Today, as we celebrate what God has been doing in us, through us, and amongst us. In this pause before the drop moment we're in, we have a moment of clarity to reassess your life and mine and our churches. We have a moment to sit back, a window into a a lifetime exchange to see that kingdom growth is what we need to be on about. And the king is the one we need to be trusting in. How does Jesus' priority in this prayer affect the way you live? How will it? 
we go away from tonight and go, oh yeah, cool, it's all about the kingdom and then get on with what's in front of us? Or will it shape what you do tomorrow, the way you go to work, the way you talk to your boss, the way you look for opportunities to share with those around you? The world is living in a building that the foundation has already been blown out on. And the only thing holding it up is God's mercy. And the ones God has sent in to clear the building, to tell everyone what's going on is you and me, with the Bible in our hand and God's Spirit in our heart. Will you use this truth, this moment, this opportunity to see more and more people come to know Jesus? Will you live for the kingdom? Why don't we pray together? as a statement of saying, yes, this is what I want to be about, um, the Lord's Prayer. It's going to come up on the screen. Why don't we stand up? We're going to sing in a second. Uh, but stand up, and why don't we remind each other of what Jesus called us to pray. Uh, it's, the, it's, it's the one from Matthew. It's a little bit Anglican. I'm sorry if you're not from an Anglican background. But what, the idea of what we're doing is, is encouraging one another as we pray together out loud with our mouths to say, yes, I want to live for the kingdom. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father God, we want to thank you so much for the joy it is to know you. We want to thank you that your kingdom has come partially in Jesus. But Lord, we long for that day that Jesus comes back. We pray tonight, we go away through the work of your word and your spirit together with a renewed focus, a moment of clarity that we live for your kingdom. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.